Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... Our proposition is let's actually create a whole network of farms throughout the state and in the country where we're only focused on growing fruit, veg, fish, eggs, bush foods, and anything else that we can grow to actually create whole meals every week for free for charities. And we become the largest supplier of free produce. Regardless of if charities are getting donations in one area, we're continuously providing food no matter what happens. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 434 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering and contributing to positive, regenerative initiatives that are heart and soul led, happening locally and globally. Today, we're speaking with Nick Steiner. Nick Steiner, the founder and CEO of the Mini Farm Project, is a relentless advocate against food insecurity in Australia. His journey began by transforming his own backyard into a thriving farm. Recognised for his exceptional community contributions, Nick received the prestigious Paul Harris Fellowship and became an AMP Tomorrow Maker alumni. His dedication was further acknowledged when he was named Moreton Bay Citizen of the Year. Through the Mini Farm Project, particularly the Logan Lee State High School Charity Farm, Nick bridges communities, businesses and youth to combat food scarcity, offering fresh sustenance to thousands in need while fostering community collaboration and dismantling barriers for students and the community. On today's podcast, we will discuss how Nick and his team are practically responding to food insecurity challenges, how the Mini Farm Project has leveraged community collaboration and dismantled barriers to accessing healthy and local food. Nick, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Nick, to start off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what it is that's led to where you are now? Yes. So I was a hospitality lifer straight out of school. I was in hospitality industry in Cairns, did all the hotels and resorts, moved down to Brisbane in 94 and did hotels, resorts, high tea, and then went into catering. So I was in catering from 1998 onwards and I just finished in 2020. When COVID hit, I was um, at Wine and Dynam Catering for 12 years in various roles. And my last role was a event and functions manager. Amazing. And what was the milestone or the turning point that led you to get into food insecurity, farming and the community work that you do now? Hospitality is a hard industry on your body and on your mind and definitely on your soul. It's 
drove me to exhaustion when I was in the hotels in the early 2000s. And one day I just said to one of my staff, I was like, I look like a zombie. I'm dead. What can I do? And he says, why don't you try some of this green barley extract to get some minerals? And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I got into the journey of taking care of my body. I've had smoothies every morning since then, exercise, fresh nutrients. And that just obviously, I, I forgot that in the rush of being a little employee and running seven days a week in hospitality. And for, for me, that was actually really important because I was obviously in my 30s. Then I'm like, okay, I need to make sure I've got my nutrients and everything intact. But then I started looking around and saw a number of homeless shelters and, and charities getting food, just getting that gut putty, that the cans and the packets and food that would not necessarily be considered nutrient dense, but filling. So it's a short-term solution just to stop the tummy from rumbling. And I thought if I'm nutrient deficient and looking at the nutrient um, deficiency across the board through the food system, you and me and some of the listeners, we're nutrient deficient because of the way the food system operates. But people in a situation of survival, they're depleted. So then I started thinking, it's like, well, what can we do to help these people? Well, one, we need to feed them. And two, we need to make sure we're building them up so they can make more clear decisions for their future. So we don't want to have people on charity supplements for 10, 20 years. We want to actually build them up so they can actually come back into normal society again and give them good quality, fresh food. Amazing. And Obviously, that's led now to you founding the Mini Farm Project. So can you share a little bit more about what you do with yeah. you along with your team and the impact that it's generating now? I was watching a uh, show called Hugh Fenley Wedding Stools River Cottage, the UK version, and I was like, I want to do what this guy does, instantaneous relaxation. He had a small holding farm, animals, growing his own food, and I thought we need to get back to this. And then he started talking about land share, and I was like, let's – create a charity that farms and grows food because there's not enough in the system for everybody and then we give that away for free to charity partners so we bought in Burpengary in Queensland and I turned my backyard into a farm to test my hypothesis and my crazy idea and we got a charity on board and we started the process and I I was doing a full-time catering job at the same time as I was doing this so it took a while to get off and running and we had a lot of good positive feedback. The whole process worked. Then we expanded to smaller farms in Brisbane. We had a raised garden bed in an industrial estate behind my work. It was at a catering warehouse. Then we had a grow bag farm next to a childcare centre in Cooparoo. And then we reclaimed some raised garden beds in a corporate building. So we wanted to show that we could grow food anywhere in an urban environment to then give to charities locally. So the food miles are near zero. And with that, we had volunteers every weekend because the farm was right next to community. So we would have 20, 30 people show up on a Saturday and that was a week worth of work. So I would only have to water. So that worked out really well for a while. COVID came around the event. We had to pivot. So I lost my job. We then had the opportunity to set up a half acre farm out at Samford with Meals on Wheels. We had the funding and we had a farmer within two week process. So all the stars aligned. It's an international market garden style farm growing seasonal crops. They're high yield turnaround crops. So every four to six weeks, a bed is being turned around and we're giving free food to people in need. So what we do now is our ethos or our mission is to actually build farms to feed Aussies in need and give that food away for free to charity partners to create meals. So we just become the producer and we do this for two reasons. One, 
right in 2022, one in five households experienced severe food insecurity. That now with this year's cost of living crisis is pushing more full-time people to charities. There's actually not enough food and that's why people are going without food. And the second reason is there's actually no resilient system in Australia. So there's no organization growing food to give to charities. They all rely on farmers and donations of food. What happens if there's a weather event that cuts out farms? What happens if there's a financial event that cuts out farms? All these commercial growers, they give food to Food Bank, Oz Harvest, Fair Share, they can buy it in all these other places, and that's really excellent. But what happens in these events? It's not a resilient process. It fluctuates. So sometimes there's a bumper, sometimes there's nothing. Our proposition is let's actually create a whole network of farms throughout the state and in the country where we're only focused on growing fruit, veg, fish, eggs, bush foods, and anything else that we can grow to actually create whole meals every week for free for charities. And we become the largest supplier of free produce. Regardless of if charities are getting donations in one area, we're continuously providing food no matter what happens. Yeah, amazing. And what are some of the ripple on effects that you've seen from rolling out this project? Well, we've proven our concept in Samford. We've now proven replication at Logan Lee State High. So we've actually got a farm in a high school. The students are involved. The community is involved. We also build community around the signature of each of our farms. So that's student-led learning outcomes. We have a gardening for good program that the University of Sunshine Coast and University of Queensland run on our farms. It's for people living with dementia and their carers. They come to the farm. Students from both faculties do an assessment process to see if there's any change with their interaction on the field. That has an inclusion process. And then we have other volunteer programs and other mental health activities that we're looking at now. A lot of people are damaged after COVID and we need spaces where they can come, touch the earth, do a couple of hours and get out and break the cycle of what they're going through. And our farms deliver that because we have the space we have the resources and we also need volunteers to help as well. With We employ staff on each of our farms to run them, but having volunteers is an important component to obviously cut costs down for us. But I think it's important to actually build community and bring people together to a space if you have it. Mm, absolutely. And Nick, I know that you have been part of the AMP Foundation's Tomorrow Maker program, which is amazing. What sort of support have you received and what changes have you seen in your business and in yourself since undertaking that program? So that program allowed me to run the charity for a whole year without worrying about where my wage would come. So that paid for my wage for a year, which has just run out. We're now looking at self-funding models that I can continue doing what I'm doing. The support was very good in relation to connecting with other founders of other organizations. So we had that collaborative approach. We, we talked to other people and what they're going through. And then we can go, okay, I'm not crazy. These are real issues. I am exp- experiencing these. So it was a really good reflection process for me. It was also really good to get other people to go, you know what, you're actually doing a really great job. And what you are doing is valuable because sometimes you don't see it. When you're in the minutiae and you're running around like a crazy headless chook, you're like, why am I doing this? I can walk away from this any day and I can throw my toys in the pram and walk off. But 
that doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve myself or the community because we've built something really amazing and we're just on the cusp of explosion. So it's really great to get that feedback. And I think the most important thing out of that is for founders to have that support mechanism where they can talk to other founders and go, yeah, okay, I'm not a mental patient. The stress is real. These are the feelings I'm having is because I care and I want to make this work. And now I can manage that as opposed to being isolated and not knowing. You have a lot of founders who implode because they don't know where to turn for help. They do have great ideas and we should actually be supporting people. And our economy is not set up to actually really help people running charities or these these not-for-profits like in America or other places do, it's actually quite difficult for people with a great idea to get the funding that they need. And also when you're the everything person like I am, I'm running around doing seven people's jobs and very ineffective, mind you, at the same time, but we're getting things done, but it's not as nice and pristine and organized like I would like to. And a Mm. lot of people have the same effect. And that damages people after a long time because it's not sustainable. And being part of this experience was very reassuring to me that other people are going through this as well. Yeah, that camaraderie is so important. Yeah, exactly. And Nick, you've worked in various capacities and, as you said, currently doing seven people's jobs (laughs) in the regenerative food system space, which is just such a vital space to be working in. What advice would you give to listeners who are wondering how they can contribute to healthier and more secure food futures for themselves and their communities? I would recommend the first thing is to grow your own food at home if you can. If not, look for a local community garden that doesn't have an overabundant personality that overshadows everybody else. Then also have a look at local food charities and help them and start getting a lay of the land in your own area because once you start looking outside your own home and then your community, you will start seeing very clearly what's actually going on. And even myself, I live in the the Caboolture, Burpengary area. There's over a 1,000 homeless people that live in the centre of Caboolture and I've never seen that before. And it's only in recent times that I've started venturing out and going, oh, my God, this is actually a big problem. We're very sight-blind on issues when we're going through our little muggle day, going to and from work, running around. We don't see things. But when people actually start exploring the community, talking to other groups and getting the lay of the land, you find out really quickly what's going on. And then you build those networks where you can start going, you know what, I can work here, I can collaborate. Then you start getting these sparks of ideas to start, wow, we can do a farm here, we can do a community garden here. And then all these ideas rush and flow in. And the most important thing that I've learned in my entire working career is that relationships are everything. And when you have those connections and relationships, that helps you move forward. And then people share advice with you. And then you can move forward with ideas in the regenerative farming space. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating really amazing positive change? I did a uh, the Sustainable Demo Day in Bay. That was the first one. I was lucky enough to be one of the nine participants. There is actually quite a lot of really amazing projects around new apps, waste management is so rich with talent and ideas and the underlying block is funding for all of these people and I just want to win the lotto and give everyone money, but we don't live in that kind of world. But there are a lot of 
really amazing projects. One of the really exciting things that I have seen over the years is water aeration generators. They just suck the humidity out of the air and create water, like 80,000 litres of water from like a shipping container size machine that's planted out in the desert, solar panels, the works. Because we're looking at different ways of growing food using sustainable and climate sensitive technologies. It's like, well, water is always going to be an issue when we're doing our market garden farms. But what happens if we have these water aeration technology where we're sucking it out of the atmosphere? Wow. Bring our crops, solar. And there was a story I saw on YouTube, must be about eight years ago now, that some young teenager invented a solar panel tree that was in the sequence of the Fibonacci code it was like it replicated a tree with all the leaves being solar panels. So you will get full impact the entire day of the sun in a particular area to generate electricity, but it was in the shape of a tree. So it wasn't an offensive rectangle panel. That was actually really inspiring to me as well. And there's a lot of technologies. Uh, there's now new tiny wind turbines you can put on your home to generate power. There's so much abundance of action and activity. It's actually quite an amazing space to be a part of. Yeah, amazing. And to finish off, what are some resources or books that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, we use a system called Jadam mm-hmm. on our farm, which is a principle of South Korean natural farming. It's a no-till weed-free system using fermentation process for creating microbial inputs into fertilizers or replace fertilizers with microbial inputs. What we do is we get all of our green waste from the farm, including weeds. We put that into vats and that becomes liquid like our tea. Then we get the microbes in the area and feed them to potatoes so they grow and colonize. We then put that through our dosatron and we put that through our watering system. So when we water, we fertigate and the plants have an abundant range of nutrients and microbes that drop onto them and then also the soil. So they suck up what they need and then the soil takes everything else. So every time we water, we're building the soil. Every time we harvest, we're building the soil. And the most important thing that we're doing is building that soil content to create the best quality plants so we can give the most nutrients produce to people in need. And that's by Young Sang Cho. He's the author. And so he's the son of the South Korean natural farming Principal's guy who developed that in the 60s. The son's now living in Hawaii doing Jadam, and he's doing really great work. That kind of book's available on Amazon. So our farmers have got that. We employed that technology really early on. We love all these natural principles, and we need to really get back to that instead of having all these pesticides. So I recommend Jadam. Amazing. Thank you. Brilliant. Nick, it's been so great to chat today, and I love what you're doing, and I'm look forward to seeing it continuing to expand throughout Queensland and and beyond Australia. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.